right now we're going to talk about something we talked about the opioid epidemic yesterday um a state of emergency declared by athabasca tribal council representing five first nations in northern alberta uh where they've seen um well like the chief said 60 documented deaths so far this year but it's far higher than that because they have um, people from the nations all over the province. So, um, just, it, it's devastating. We know that. We had the story last week, um, from the Blood Reserve where they've actually managed to make some pretty good gains early. And you don't want to get too excited about it. But at the same time, uh, they saw overdose deaths go from about 26 in a month down to five or six. So, uh, some of the things they're doing there seem to be working at least for now. But, you know, this is an ongoing battle that will continue for the foreseeable future. And the frustrating part here, is it's been going on for a really, really long time, and it's only getting worse. You know, if you want to call it a war on drugs, which you shouldn't, because that was really dumb, um, we're losing it drastically. We're just whatever we've tried to do, we're not doing it well enough um, because people continue to die, just in staggering numbers, really and truly. One of the best tools we have to try and save lives amidst this epidemic is naloxone. Um, and we have naloxone kits that are handed out in many, many locations across the country, including in Alberta. Um, it's a, it's a drug that blocks the effects of opioids and basically saves the user from overdose is what it does. Uh, there's no way of knowing just how many lives have been saved with naloxone, but it is tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands more likely. Um, but despite overwhelming evidence that it works and is saving, like I say, thousands and thousands of lives, there's not really a set protocol. It sort of it depends on where you are, what you can get, how you get it, all, all these sorts of things. So we've got some giant holes in the system that, you know, perhaps if we dealt with that, we might be able to save even more lives. So we're going to speak now with Dr. Jane Buxton, Professor Emeritus at UBC School of Population and Public Health, who's done some work around naloxone and some studies. Um, doctor, thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time today my pleasure Shane. to start you know for people who aren't familiar with naloxone it's a lifesaver right i mean it's saving thousands of lives oh definitely I, it it's been around for 50 years um but it was originally just used in hospitals and um in emergency situations but we developed take-home naloxone programs and in fact the first one in canada was started in edmonton in 2005 at streetworks and since then, uh, BC introduced the program in 2012, and then Alberta uh, in 2015. So it's been around for a while. Thankfully, it was in progress before the overdose emergency um, happened. Um, and it is saving thousands and thousands of lives, as you say. Um, how does it work? It, it's, it can be injected or the nasal spray, and we'll get into the difference and the important yep. distinction between the two. But what does it actually do? It, it blocks the opioids, right? So what it does, opioids bind um, to the new receptor in the brain. Um, and what the, the naloxone does is it comes along and pushes the opioid off that receptor. So when somebody's having an overdose, what happens is their breathing depresses, and, and slows, and then if the overdose isn't reversed, they may end up stopping breathing, and then also their heart will stop. So naloxone is there to push, and it, it works very, very quickly. Um, doesn't matter which preparation, but usually within two to three minutes, um, it gets to the brain and helps people to start breathing um, again. Okay, and there are two kinds primarily. There's a nasal spray, yep. And there's an injectable form of naloxone, correct? That's correct. Um, when uh, 
we started the programs in, in Canada, there was only the injectable available and it was a prescription only um, medication. So it could only be prescribed for people who use substances. Okay. When the crisis happened, it became um, uh, off prescription. And so we were able to distribute it to people who were likely to see an overdose, not necessarily somebody who used substances themselves. So it could go out to friends, family members, um, and anybody who uh, may uh, in their day-to-day life come across somebody who was having an overdose. And now, Doctor, as you say, these, these you know kits, we've distributed them. They're free in a lot of different locations across the country. Now, if I got one of these kits and it had a needle full of naloxone in it, I don't know if I would know or be comfortable administering it. I mean, tell what is the process when you have an injectable form of naloxone and you do encounter somebody? How complicated is it for, for someone to try and, you know, administer the drug? Um, it's not complicated, but a lot of people are concerned about using needles. We find the majority of overdose reversals are by members of the community, so people who actually use substances, and they... Um, are more confident um, in using needles. But when we distribute the kits, there should be training that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes if it's distributed at a pharmacy, there may be a video you can see as to how to do it. Or if you go to a nonprofit, they will probably help you practice using just water, not naloxone, to actually get the feel. Because we have Um, needles that are safety needles. So when you've injected it, the needle retracts into the barrel of the syringe. So there's no risk of a a needle stick injury from that. Okay. Now the nasal spray um, sounds like it's probably less complicated. How is that administered? So it comes in a a device which um, has a little uh, pointy bit which you put up the one person's nostril. And you administer it just by uh, giving pressure. And most kits will come with two of the nasal uh, administration devices. It's actually, the actual strength is 10 times that of the injectable. So while the injectable is 0.4 milligrams, most kits have three ampules in or vials, depending on which province, the intranasal is 4 milligrams. So there is a concern with that higher dose that it may cause people to go into withdrawal. Um, so that's something to, to bear in mind. Uh, people who use um, the kits, as I said, often are people who use substances themselves. And what we hear, and we got a lot of information from people uh, at the front line who were responding, was that they find it more reliable um, if somebody is using the intranasal, if there's damage to the, the nasal septum, or if somebody is just snorted um, a stimulant, there may be uh, constriction right. and it may not be absorbed. And it's easier to titrate the dose and avoid withdrawal symptoms. Um, withdrawal symptoms are not very pleasant at all. Um, and if somebody develops withdrawal symptoms, they may they regain consciousness, they start breathing, but it's only temporary, potentially, um, and they may seek out other substances to get get rid of those symptoms and that can be incredibly dangerous um so it's your findings that we need to have both of these available right i mean there shouldn't be an either or situation both of these can save lives and we should have both uh, available what the recommendation says and it's a conditional recommendation is that people should be offered the choice um 
obviously if it's you know you're responding and it's very cold it's dark or you have uh, problems perhaps with your, your dexterity then you know in those situations the intranasal would be more appropriate but as i said you know intramuscular is preferred by others who like to be able to titrate and stop this withdrawal symptoms so the recommendation is that both you should give people a choice of which they want the reason the recommendation is conditional is that the intranasal is much more expensive okay. and various estimates are you know between you know seven times seven to ten times more oh expensive and you know we want everybody who is at risk of witnessing an overdose to actually have that tool so they can save somebody's life um uh, whether they're family loved ones or somebody that you know lives in an area where they may come across folks using substances so it, it's really important that we make it available in bc and i'm sorry i can't really speak for alberta but you know in a month we distribute over thirty thousand kits so the difference in the price does make a considerable yeah. difference as to whether it's going to be feasible yeah, for sure. You can see right away how that would uh, have a pretty important, um, you know, impact on decision making for sure. Aside from the needles or the nasal spray, whichever one, do we need to do more? I mean, I think, you know, this is becoming or not becoming it is such a problem and has been for so long. And, and I think we're seeing more and more of it, um, you know, on the streets of Edmonton and Calgary. Is it more than just administering the naloxone or there are other things that people need to do? Well, of course, naloxone, we can consider it a Band-Aid. It's okay. really yeah. after the event is happening. And what we really need to do is to have services and make sure that people, um, either if they're ready for treatment and wish to go into treatment, that that's available. But if they, uh, you know, if, if that's not something that they're um, wanting to do, that we can help them use in a, a more safe manner. And the drugs on the streets, they're unregulated. They're so toxic. There's absolutely no quality control people don't know what's in the drugs and we're often hearing of new things and the potency concentration is is very varied but that's why people are dying so you know there's other things like you know if somebody is going to be using unregulated drugs to make sure that they can um, get their drugs tested so they know what's in them and what we need is to make sure that people can have um, supplies that we know what's in it. Right. We know exactly what somebody is taking. And that may be, you know, prescribed methadone or buprenorphine, um, suboxone, or, you know, other, um, you know, we've introduced other uh, medication that can help uh, prevent the withdrawal and to help people. Um, people aren't using substances. Often it's because they have a dependence. They're not necessarily using it to to get high, although some people sure, do. Yeah. Um, but we need to be able to give them something that will help them function, that will help them um, not be in withdrawal. And once that's established, then, you know, I mean, people to have housing, all those things. It's not just the drugs are so toxic, but there's so many reasons that people use that yeah. we need to address those so, issues. So many things. Including housing, employment and financial Long list, yeah, you're right, and there's, <laughs> yeah. and and we're seeing it. We're seeing how I mean, it's just all cascading on top of each other uh, at yeah. this point, right? And, and of course, COVID has made matters worse. Yes. The drugs became more toxic, and you know, potentially more people are distressed and maybe turning to use substances. And then, of 
course, one of the, the reasons that people may die when they have an overdose is because there's nobody around. So right. somebody who's been into treatment or somebody who's embarrassed or concerned about the stigma or, you know, is not telling their family um, that they are using again will hide their use. Um, and then if you're using alone, that is so tragically um, dangerous that people will die. Yeah. If somebody overdoses and there's a person around who can administer naloxone, can call for emergency services, then, you know, people aren't going to die. And overdose prevention sites are another place that people can use and somebody can be there to respond in a, a timely manner. Yeah, and the important part, Doctor, as you're outlining here, is you can't, no one thing is the answer. We can't, no. we, we get locked into thinking, oh, here's the, no, everything needs to be brought to bear here. That's the only way we'll make headway. Um, yeah, and I think you're, you're right. It's not an either or. A no. lot of people say, well, it's either treatment or yeah. harm reduction. Yeah. But harm reduction is really treating people with respect and asking people what it is they need at that time. And it's not always treatment. Um, and treatment can actually, forced treatment can have um Negative effects, yeah. 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 Doctor, thank you so much for your time. I do need to go, but uh, I really appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much.